Hey, what's up everyone? This is Giorgio, your friendly neighborhood YouTuber slash podcaster, and I'm back with another episode of Beyond Wrestling. And today or tonight or whenever you may be hearing this episode, I'm going to be talking about Sting, the Lost Tape, which was like a 24, 27 minute like, uh, like it was like an unreleased uh wcw tape that they had was able to remaster and they put it on the wwe network and so today i thought it would be a cool idea to um you know review it and let you know what i think about it because you know and and i would like to say that this uh tape or video um for, of sting's career during the time this was during the mid 1990s and i would assume probably 1994/1995 and um this was like really at the height of sting's career as far as him just now reaching that that big popularity you know he was wwe he was wcw's uh top star at that time and um you know he had a crazy huge fan base and um and in this documentary or this little a uh, mini uh behind the scenes uh life uh, a day in the life of sting you know as a top star in wcw they talk about you know all the things that he deals with in like a normal day uh you know in wcw and it shows all the fans uh how how hyped they were how excited they were to see sting in the ring and um and it shows you how how the fans are doing the whole woo chat though you know the little screen thing that uh that sting does and and it shows you just how humble and grateful he is you know for all the fans that he has and and it also it goes in depth and it shows you um you know how he would take time before the shows to talk to the fans he'll take time after the shows or he could be just out and about at the time and if a fan comes up to him he'll be you know he's nice enough to talk to them and i really like that and then of course you know at the beginning uh it showed you going him like you know backstage during like signings or doing a big pay-per-view event where he'll be joking around with some of the wrestlers and of those wrestlers two of them that they showed uh in this one uh also actually three is terry taylor but a lot of you may not know who he is but he was a big top wrestler during the i would say the 80s and uh, i think at this time he was like a talent agent or he probably was on the um creative or writing or, or whatever for wcw but um they also showed you um they also had showed you him sting joking around with uh buff bagwell and everything and and that showed you all the top stars that were big at that time in wcw you know all the up and coming names you know alex wright uh buff bagwell the uh booker t and um stevie ray you know harlem heat who was probably wcw's hottest tag team 
at that time and um you know they of course at that time wcw acquired hulk hogan and um macho man randy savage and at that time that was one of the hugest things ever because no one ever thought that macho man let alone hulk hogan would go to wcw and of course macho man i believe he went there first if i'm not mistaken or at least sometime afterwards uh after hogan came but yeah but they showed during this documentary of sting you know joking around with uh macho man and everything and you know and you and one of the really cool aspects about this particular um you know a lost tape or this video or whatever is like how kind and how you know honest and real macho man was and he really put over sting in this uh document in this little video right here now to my knowledge i don't really know if i don't, i think this was released on vhs it could have been or this probably was shown during tv or something you know like short sometime like after the match uh, that Sting had and this match was between Sting and uh, Big Bubba who beforehand he was in years prior he was in the WWF or as we call it the WWE nowadays but he was in the WWF in the um, late 80s and stuff and his name was the Big Boss Man but of course obviously he couldn't use that name in WCW so he called himself Big Bubba and Big Bubba is more of a southern name and to be honest Big Boss Man does have a southern voice and I believe he is from the south but uh yeah so that's this this documentary was pretty much you know Sting going behind the scenes and Sting's day and all the time leading up to that match with uh, Big Bubba and it was a pretty cool matchup and I'm gonna be talking about that matchup in just a little bit but back to some of the cool aspects of this documentary uh this video is that you know at the time you didn't always see what was going on behind the scenes in a big wrestling company or in a wrestler's life and so seeing sting in this light at that time period was such a it's something you grew to appreciate because it didn't always happen and sting was always very protective of that character and he was always self-conscious about how his character was received you know to the fans and also you know in the middle of this you'll see vader putting over sting because vader and sting has some crazy matchups and I'm also thinking about reviewing some of them old classic wrestling matches that I remember seeing at the time because when Sting was on top of WCW in the mid 1990s, I think I was probably like maybe five or six years old. So I remember seeing him in some of these matches and stuff, but, um, I and that's one of the things I like to do on my show beyond wrestling is I like to talk about the historic events in wrestling and how how I experienced them at the time as a kid 
And so right here, I don't remember seeing the matchup between, you know, Sting and, and Big Bubba or whatever, but I do know the, uh, that I do remember seeing Sting with the whole suffer blonde, you know, haircut with the cool little bright face paint. And, uh, and, and, and another really fun aspect about this, uh, Steam the Lost Tape, um, episode on the WWE Network is that, uh, you see Steam putting on his face paint and the process that he goes into, um, when putting that on and he talks about how it makes him feel, how it pretty much calms him and gets him in the mood, gets him ready for the match. And, and one would have to say... Uh, one would have to think that this is probably Sting's favorite thing about, you know, wrestling. One of his top favorite things, and one of the things that helps him get over anxiety and everything, I, I'm assuming. You know, it, it kind of helps you get rid of the nerves, and he looks at it as like war paint. So, it's really cool just... You know, getting to see Sting put on his face paint. And at this time, this was like one of the few times that we, at least back then, I'm assuming, that people got to see Sting without his face paint. And they got to see him put it on before a big matchup. And of course, we didn't see anything like this until years later when uh, he did that TNA wrestling uh, documentary DVD set where it showed him putting on his face paint there. And um, and so, yeah, it was really, really cool. And then, of course, you know, it shows him in this documentary uh, right here. It shows him, like, behind the scenes of him getting ready to do his interview before the big match with uh, Big Bubba. Uh, with uh, Mean Gene Okerlund and, and it shows you Sting getting himself psyched up and getting himself, you know, in that right train of thought to get ready to do that, uh, that interview. And, um, and then it shows you uh, with him, you know, with the medical staff, you know, they take you behind the scenes with the WCW medical staff and, and all the, the tape that they, all the little accessories and stuff that wrestlers need. And, you know, and it shows him putting on his, his wrestling tape on his arm or his forearms and stuff. Man, dude, it, it, this the kind of stuff that I like, you know, and, and this, and, and the thing is, thing is still somewhat in character, uh, even in some of this, you know, he's still, cause the Sting character is Sting, but more amplified, you know, with the volume turned up on certain aspects and it, it, and I really like that, you know, and it's just not every day that you see that. And so, um, you know, and it wasn't like in a way where it killed the business or it hurt, you know, uh, kayfabe or, or, you know, the characters, you know, the people he was working with. It was never in a way to tarnish any of that. And, uh, and then it shows him, you know, right before he gets ready to go out there to the crowd and shows him getting himself psyched up. And then he comes out there with this table, you know, and I'm assuming, I guess anything goes in this type of match. Um, and it was really cool. And of course, Sting wasn't the champion at this time. I guess he had lost the belt to Vader. 
I think Vader had beat him for the title, or I think maybe Hogan had the championship. I believe it had to either been Vader or Hogan who had the belt at this time, you know. And um, this match right here with Big Bubba was very brutal, very hard hitting. You know, they started out outside the ring for like the first couple of you know minutes of the matchup, and then. And then Big Bubba, he throws Sting into the doggone um, table, crushing him. And man, you know, Sting, he had the ability to have a, a great match, especially with big guys. And he showed a lot of athleticism in this particular matchup with Big Bubba. And he was able to lock in the sharpshooter on him and everything. Or no, it's called the Scorpion Deathlock because... This, here's a fun fact about that move is that we all know Bret Hart had used that move and some fans will see Sting using that when they're called the sharpshooter but actually Sting was the first one to use that move in America because actually there was a Japanese pro wrestler who used the scorpion death knock slash sharpshooter that was a move that was originated in Japan and Sting spent some time in Japan and he used that move there. And and so Sting was able to ask the guy, hey, can I use that um that move or whatever? And then the dude was cool with it, you know. And Sting he he was very popular over there in Japan whenever he went over there to work too. And so he brought that move over here to America. But not only that, Sting had another move called the Stinger Splash. And yes, there were two versions of the Stinger Splash. And um, there was the one where he'll get you in the corner and then he'll run over there and, and, and jump over there and splash you and knock you down from the uh, turn, you know, from the corner. But he also did like a little frog, little, little fro like frog splash. And at that time, guys of Sting size was not doing that. And yeah, Sting, he called that the Stinger Splash. And he would sometimes win a match with that move right there. Um, you know, it just to switch it up a bit, but and this was all before he started using the Scorpion Death Lock, uh, you know, and uh, well, actually, the Scorpion Death Drop, my bad. Sometimes you can get them mixed up, but yeah, he had the Scorpion Death Drop, which was um, a reverse DDT, but he didn't start using that move until um. He didn't start using that move until like 1996, I would say mid-late 1996 or so. And uh, he started using that mainly with the Crow character. But of course, this documentary, this is way before any of that stuff came about. Um, at the time, you know, Sting uh, was showing a lot more attitude and, and, and everything with this character, the Surface Sting character, you know, because around this time, you know, fans were changing. It, 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 this was like really on that cusp of fans starting to want more. It, people, fans started seeing, you know, more attitude from characters like, you know, Stone Cold, which was in the following year. And he started coming up and, and fans was like, hmm, I like that. And so Sting, he was starting to show more of that. He was starting to show more edge to the Surfer Sting character which that made him very very unique and um and so yeah uh so they had showed little snippets of this match with big bubba before showing you the full thing 
in its entirety towards the end of the uh, episode. And uh, man, it, it, and just seeing Sting come out right now, like um, at the beginning of this matchup, you know, he he has the crowd behind him. That crowd erupted when Sting came out there. And you know, he was definitely one of the most popular wrestlers at that time, you know, outside of like, you know, Hogan, uh, outside of Bret Hart, and uh, even, you know, uh, Shawn Michaels and stuff, you know, Shawn Michaels was still a top heel, but he was, he was popular and everything, and of course, Undertaker now, and so, but yeah, you know, Sting was the man, even, and the, the, the cool, the funny thing about all of this is at this time, even though Sting wasn't the world champion at this time, you know, in this particular matchup or whatever, um, he was still like very over. He it's like at the point it's like he didn't need the world title because his star power is that big, you know. And and that was a common thing back in the day was like you know some wrestlers were just so over they didn't even need to be world champion and it and it wouldn't have hurt them, you know. And I feel like world when because. When you first become a world champion, during that first title run, that's when you uh, establish yourself as a huge star. So when it gets time for you to put over somebody else who's not as big of a star as you are, um, then you can put them over and it still won't hurt you. Because that's the whole point of wrestling in general is like you build up your big top heel they put over the baby face the baby face becomes a huge star either they turn heel or they stay the way they are but they eventually put over the next top star and it's like an ongoing cycle and so sting he had the star power he didn't need the world title even though eventually he would win the world title i would say i think he the last, the next time he, I think he won the world title was probably uh, in '97 when he beat Hogan at Starcade. But I will have to go back and look at the, you know, the records and stuff. But nonetheless, um, man, the fact that he was able to take a guy like Big Bubba and put on a decent matchup. That's what it was at, at, at for being honest. This match, it, it wasn't a five-star classic or anything like that. Um, it was just a fun little exciting type of hard-hitting matchup and um, You know, it was it, it was just what it was, you know what I'm saying? But you know big Bubba he could work now don't get the, the dude had something <laughs> He was a pretty big old dude man, and you know and he really brought it to Sting in this particular matchup. You know, he had him, he had him beat up. He was knocking him out. He was knocking him all around the ring. He put him in the corner, and then he was choking him with, uh, I believe, his tie because he still had like a, he still had a tie that was somewhat similar to the Big Boss Man look. You know, and except it was just like some white overalls and a black, some black slacks. So, I don't know. I don't know why he called himself Big Bubba. I don't get that one. It's, it's funny. It, I guess because WCW was a Southern-based wrestling company. And I guess it fit in with the thing. And I think he wanted to keep the Big Boss. Or at least he kept the word Big. 
in and everything. You know, and there was a lot of wrestlers of his size use big in their names sometimes. You know, Big John Stud, you know, um, for example. But yeah, <laughs> it was, it, this was a pretty fun little, little matchup and everything. And um, yeah, Sting, he took the beat down. You know, it wasn't just him doing everything. And and I think that was one of the cool things that fans liked about Sting at that time. And even to this day, is Sting, he could take a beating. He knew how to take a beating in a matchup and still make that crazy cool combat that get fans excited. Like you knew, okay, man, he's getting beat up, but now he has a chance to come back and win this matchup. You know, Sting knew how to get the fans emotionally invested in him. You know, when he got beat up in a match, you felt, you truly felt sorry for him, even though he was not a small guy. Sting was like, what, 250 or something, I think, at this time? Um, he was not a small guy, but he knew how to get use his his wrestling ability his character his size and everything to still be able to get that fan symp sympathy from you and um you know and i really enjoyed that uh, a lot you know because that shows you just how great you know sting was at that time period and um and now they're, they're fighting outside the ring. Sting, and he did this. In the fact, he was able to body slam Big Bubba or scoot slam him on this table and outside the ring. And Big Bubba, like I said, he's, he's probably like 300-something pounds at this time. And I'm not even exaggerating. He's like 300-something pounds. And Sting really utilized the table. I guess they should have just called this a table match. But it wasn't called a table match. Um... It was very interesting, uh, you know, with how they booked this matchup. Oh, man. And then Big Bubba just slang Sting right into that table. I'm surprised it didn't broke. This was not a gimmick table. I will tell you that. And, uh, and you probably wonder, what is a gimmick table? Well, usually those gimmick tables, they're really cheap tables. Like... I don't even know how to describe them, but they're really low quality tables. You probably can get them at the dollar store or something like that. But this was like a real table. Now, that's why when if you watch this matchup, when Big Bubba throws Sting into it, it didn't break. Or if it, or when Sting has scoop slam Big Bubba on the table, it didn't broke. It didn't break either. And then, of course, they ended up fighting back in the ring, and they had the table in the corner. And Big Bubba, he threw Sting into the table again. And you would have think with a guy Sting's size, that table would have broke. But it never did. It didn't break there. So this was n not a gimmick table in my, from what I'm seeing. And... Um, because I know I, I've heard some people use that word with the chair like a gimmick chair there's no there is no gimmick chair unless it's one of them cheap as uh, wooden chairs you know maybe so those probably would break easily but nah back then at least in certain especially in Japan and everything uh, they didn't use them old cheap um you know chairs and tables you know in wcw they had them folding chairs that you knew were real like and so if somebody hits you with one of them folding chairs back then like the ones that wcw used or whatever um 
yeah, they hurt. <laughs> they definitely hurt. And then, of course, you know, Bossman, he had control of the match, and he hit Sting with the uh, running sidewalk slam and used Sting's momentum against him. And uh, that really kind of, you know, took the win out of Sting. So, yeah, Sting took a, he took a big beating in this match, that's for sure. Now, I don't know why the hell Big Bubba would put his big ass on top. Why his big ass would go on the top rope and try to go for a splash when he had the match won. I don't know why he did that, but I guess this is the part where Sting makes his big time comeback in the match. And so, yeah, Bubba, he made a big mistake by going to that top rope, but now he's going to pay for it. And Sting hits the Stinger splash from the top rope. Oh, is that it? Oh, that's two. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Sting, he had two. <laughs> he got two count out of that. And so, man. Oh, and Big Bubba, he poked Sting in the eyes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Big Bubba's the heel in this matchup, just so you know. And that's one of the things I liked back then is you knew who was the heel and who was the baby face in uh these matchups and nowadays it's sometimes it's hard to tell who's the baby face and who's the heel and i will be going more in depth about that in a future episode of, of um beyond wrestling because that's something we need to talk about you know and then, of course, Sting, he puts the table on top of Big Bubba and he jumps on it to crush the table under Big Bubba. So now that he has Big Bubba laid out pretty much unconscious, now he's signaling for the Scorpion Deathlock. And the fans are getting behind him, giving Sting all the power he needs to lock on that Scorpion Death Drop. I mean, Deathlock. <laughs> and now Big Bubba taps out. He doesn't... And, and, and this is something I want you all to pay attention to is you notice when Bubba, Big Bubba had uh, said, hey, I, I, I'm done. I can't take me anymore. He shook his head. He didn't use his hands, his arms or anything to hit the mat. Like most people, when they tap out, at least that you see nowadays, they'll either tap the wrestler's arm, depending on where they have, depending on how the submission hole is locked in, or if they're in like one of them leg submission holes, the wrestler will just tap the mat and repeatedly to let the referee know I've, I quit. But Big Bubba, he shook his head and saying, I'm done. I, I give up. And that's something really interesting to note right there is because even though Sting won the match, the way Big Bubba did it, he didn't he didn't use his arms or hands to tap out on the mat repeatedly. So it didn't too much hurt him. Like Sting won the match true enough, but it didn't hurt Big Bubba in a way to make him look weak even you know in him tapping out so that's something to think about you can beat a big dude like that a big time a big heel in a match and still have them looking strong you don't have to make them look weak in the finish and so even though sting won he got the win he got the rub big bubba also didn't come out looking like a complete jabroni even though he should have never went for the dog on top rope i would have never taken that top rope move like that uh if i had the match one but obviously it was designed that way because sting was gonna go over here um so yeah that was really really interesting matchup 
I really enjoyed talking about that with you all and breaking down some of the little ins and outs of that matchup and what lead led up to it. Um, really fun matchup. And of course, at the end, uh, you know, they show Sting behind the scenes, like walking back from the match, completely exhausted. And I would be exhausted too, had I had to be in the ring with that big ass dude. <laughs> But nonetheless, um, thank you all for listening in on this episode of Beyond Wrestling. Um, I know it was a while since the last episode, but I'm, I'm doing some rebranding. I'm going to be starting up the Beyond Wrestling YouTube channel. Uh, that way I can just move everything over there. And the way I'm going to be doing these episodes, I'm going to make them so like even if you don't watch it at the time that it's released you can always watch these episodes weeks months from now and they still be relevant you know i'm gonna be talking about more you know classic you know events and big time events that happened in wrestling that made wrestling more popular or what how we remember wrestling being fun and uh, I'm going to be doing some really cool reviews and stuff. So just stay tuned for more. Um, follow me on my social media, which is at uh, Giorgio ASMR, which is that's the Twitter. And then the Instagram is Giorgio underscore ASMR. And of course, all of this information will be in the description box below, as well as my Teespring store. If you all want to go over there and check out the cool affordable merch I have there. And also, um, I will have the Beyond Wrestling email. So if you want a shout out on the on the uh, show at the beginning of the show, I'll give you a shout out, no problem. Uh, or if you have feedback or anything you want to sh- add to the show, definitely send it to the Beyond Wrestling podcast email. That will be all in the description. And I like having you all's feedback because it makes me do a better job even more. (laughs) Anyways, you all be safe and be blessed. This is Giorgio, and I will catch you all next time. Peace out.